Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to the Rust Report on ESPN AM 1520. Back by popular demand, we have with us today Ambassador Eric M. Javits, highly regarded for his leadership in international affairs. A little background information about Ambassador Eric Javits. In 2001, Ambassador Javits was nominated by President George W. Bush as Ambassador and Permanent U.S. Representative to the Conference on Disarmament in Geneva. In 2003, Ambassador Javits was confirmed as Ambassador and Permanent Representative to the Organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons in The Hague, a tremendous world leader expert on international affairs and also about energy matters. So let's talk first about the nuclear arms situation. Donald Trump at the time of this taping as president-elect said that maybe a nuclear arms race is a good idea between Russia and the US sort of echoing the message of President Reagan of peace through strength. How do you feel about an arms race once again nuclear arms internationally ambassador Javits well I don't think it's a race with Russia I think it's a case of repositioning the United States as a country that has the capability of not only defending itself but um, deterring any other country in the world from trying to use nuclear weapons it we have allowed our nuclear laboratories and our nuclear preparations to deteriorate for quite a period of time. And I'm not so sure that we have what is currently regarded abroad as a credible deterrent. Because of the neglect that has been permitted, uh, I think the, the President-elect's desire to um, strengthen the nuclear deterrent is admirable. I don't think it's a question of an arms race with Russia or anybody else. I think it's a question of trying to keep the nuclear non-proliferation idea alive and well. Because if we allow our arms in the nuclear area to deteriorate, other countries are going to feel they need to have nuclear arms to protect themselves because the American deterrent isn't sufficient and the American umbrella isn't all-embracing. Um, I think the idea of competing with Russia is a mistake. I don't think we need to compete with any country. I think we just need to be strong enough so that other countries are not going to venture where they should not dare. Now you're very active with energy matters uh, throughout the United States. Um, it's a new big part of your life and I know you don't want to mention specifics um, <clears throat> regarding what you're doing in business, but perhaps you could talk about the new opportunities with energy, with wind, solar, um, the storage of energy. Where do you see the future with our energy needs, <clears throat> Ambassador Eric Javits? Well, for a long, long time we have relied on hydrocarbons 
to provide energy to the world, starting with coal, then oil, <clears throat> petroleum, gasoline, uh, natural gas, and we are looking at certain adverse consequences of relying in toto completely upon hydrocarbons. Uh, we have not settled science in uh, the global climate and global warming or cooling uh, disputes, but we certainly have concerns. And we know that by minimizing carbon, we're probably doing the right thing uh, for mankind. Uh, not only to uh, cut carbon, which I don't think is, is the danger in and of itself, it's pollution that we have to cut. And we want to have clean air, we want to have clean water. And so the trend toward the green energy sources is increasingly of interest and, and increasing demand. We have um, the opportunity, I think, to really move away from hydrocarbons over the next couple of centuries. But it's going to require a new, completely new technology in storage of electricity. Right now, the, the battery industry is uh, relying essentially on chemical means to store uh, electricity in batteries. And lithium ion is the uh, current state of the art. But the idea of increasing that dramatically in terms of its ability to store more, more safely and cheaper is not an optimistic uh, scenario. So we need to find new technologies. The world has, uh, I think, agreed that one of the greatest obstacles to progress in getting clean energy for uh, industrial, commercial, and residential use is that we don't have sufficient storage technology to do that. That's inexpensive enough, that's safe enough, that's clean enough. And I think the world needs that breakthrough. And I also think there's so many disputes, geographic and political and, uh, and so forth, about the sources of energy uh, with the oil countries and the, uh, the consumer countries that require it. Um, we've, we've seen war fought over it. We've, we've seen uh, a lot of other kinds of strife arise out of that. And I think that that can be lessened and also there can be a convergence if mankind can find a really safe way to store electricity that's produced by solar, by wind, by other forms of clean uh, provision. Let's switch the topic and talk about uh, the invasion by Russia into the Ukraine. Uh, now we have a new presidency. It seems that uh, President-elect Trump, as the date of this taping, has perhaps a better working relationship with uh, President Putin. How do you see the situation? Should we have future negotiations and sanctions until we see a withdrawal of Russia from the Ukraine? The invasion was one which I think was induced by weakness on the part of the United States and on the part of the Ukraine itself by having given up its nuclear weapons in exchange for a promise. And that just shows you 
how ideology and um, goodwill doesn't always pay off. The idea that you can give up nuclear weapons for a promise is um, is a little bit too too far for me to uh, to travel. I think you really need to have deterrent if you're going to discourage aggressive action. And Ukraine f gave it up. We also uh, adopted a posture that was permissive, that was weak, and actually encouraged Russia to probe. The Russians have always needed that access to the water. They've always felt that the um, eastern part of Ukraine was um, a territory that they, not only did they covet, but that they had a, a certain amount of entitlement to because of the population was mostly Russian-speaking people and, uh, and part of their former empire. If you don't discourage aggression with a credible deterrent, you're going to have aggression. Now, how do you put evils back in, into Pandora's box? I mean, we are now facing the fact that the Russians are there. They not only are there in force, but they've got force all around the area that further threatens uh, the, the small enclave that they've limited themselves to, I think, almost voluntarily at this point. So I, I'm sure that uh, Trump's relationship with Russia is going to be a very different relationship than Obama's. First of all, I think uh, Putin and Trump are going to respect each other. I don't think Putin respected Obama. And respect and concern for uh, mutual welfare um, is what you need. And particularly when you talk about mutual welfare, your own welfare. Russia will, I think, find an accord because the, the Trump uh, policy is to negotiate from strength. And he's not going to deal with Russia from weakness. His, his um, initial indication that he's not going to uh, lie down for China, that he's going to even question the, the long-time standing relationship of one China policy to, to Taiwan, puts him into a position in Russian eyes, if you looked at, at the U.S. from Russian standpoint, that it's a very welcome sign to Russia that we're ready to stand up to China and, and I think encourage Russia to feel that they could have an ally in the U.S. if Russia tries to overpower them. So I think the balance of power concept is going to come back into vogue under Trump. I don't think he's going to be aggressive. I don't think he's going to be unreasonable, but I think he's certainly a terrific negotiator and he knows you don't renegotiate from weakness, you only negotiate from strength. For those who just tuned in, our guest today is Ambassador Eric M. Javits. We're performing a remote taping in Palm Beach, Florida at his home and we're learning a great deal about world affairs and energy matters. I'd like to thank those who called regarding our recent guest, author Paulette Cooper, whose book is Was Elvis Jewish? Another program we've had which we received calls on was with Ambassador Earl Mack, who's a friend of Ambassador Javits, and financier Ben Gordon. 
little note here, Western New Yorkers love their traditions and the Ampol Legal has been writing about Polish-American traditions and events for over 50 years. News and features from a Polish-American perspective can be found in this weekly newspaper as well as recipes and a calendar of events. Don't miss out on the next cultural presentation or polka dance by reading the Ampol Eagle. The Ampol Eagle is available in many Tops and Wegman stores. For home delivery, call 716-835-9454. That's 716-835-9454 to have the latest news from Poland and Polonia in your mailbox each week. A little bit more information about Ambassador Eric M. Javits. He graduated from the Choate School in 48 and spent one year at Stanford University. He is a Phi Beta Kappa graduate from Columbia College and attended Columbia Law School. His uncle was United States Senator Jacob Javits, who I had the pleasure of befriending as I have been a member of the executive committee and state committeeman for three decades in Buffalo, New York, and I remember when Ambassador, when Ambassador Javits' uncle came for his last endorsement for re-election to the U.S. Senate, where he served 24 years in the U.S. Senate. Let's talk about beating ISIS. We've seen the brutality of ISIS. We've seen the beheadings of 27 Christians in Egypt. We've seen people tortured and killed in a, just a horrible, shameful manner that reminds one of the grotesque activities of uh, Stalin and Hitler. How are we going to beat this evil of ISIS? Ambassador Eric M. Javits. We're going to, I think, find a, a new aggressiveness, a new fearlessness. I don't think it takes invading other countries. I think it takes uh, hunting people down, inspiring uh, increased cooperation, and increased techniques of surveillance, uh, dedicating more attention, more funds, more manpower to tracking people, to keeping accurate records, to exchanging information. And I think that the um, security forces, the intelligence forces of all the free countries are going to be um, stimulated and uh, incentivized to work a lot closer together. You see a lot of instances now where people who are committing aggression as members of ISIS or doing jihad have records, have been under uh, investigation, have been under scrutiny for some period of time, and then for some reason have either been overlooked or allowed to be released or um, not really um, preempted from taking their uh, horrible activities. Where it's being done in the countries that we, where we can't control the situation, such as uh, in Iraq or in um, the countries in the Middle East, Jordan or whatever, where we don't have control of the situation, there's not much that we can do there except to help incentivize those governments to increase the the dedication of resources and manpower, and also firmer um, dealing with these suspects than they have today. Let's talk about your goals for America. A recent polling has found that Americans are much more optimistic than in the last five years for the future of America. Uh, we now have a new president. You seem to like his foreign policy more than the previous president. 
what are your goals for America under the Trump administration, Ambassador Javits? Well, I think it's going to be a new birth of freedom in America. I think the idea of reducing regulation means increased freedom. The idea of uh, less action by executive order means increased uh, democratic representation of the people's views, not the views of uh, White House elite that um, help generate or the unelected officials who are appointed in regulatory agencies determining for themselves how America should be run and how people should act and behave. And also the consequences that flow from that are enormously harsh and repressive, which means that our growth, our economy, our number of job opportunities is going to be curtailed sharply and has been curtailed sharply. So uh, I think we have a new birth of freedom that we're facing in the coming four years, and I hope it's more than four years, uh, particularly with the appointment of judges to the Supreme Court that will be of a more conservative stripe. Very good. Now let's talk about appointments, and I'm referring to cabinet appointments prior to the taping. Ambassador Javits seemed to be quite pleased with the appointments by President-elect Donald Trump. Um, how do you feel about his cabinet picks? Are they good ones? <clears throat> well, I think they're not only good ones, I think they're superstars. I mean, the fact that these are men of, of, of tremendous accomplishment, men who basically uh, achieved success through their own efforts and also with the help and support of their colleagues in all their respective uh, areas of uh, activity. These are, are very significant leaders of industry or people who have had uh, enormous success in their careers. The fact that they're wealthy, I think, is, is a, it, irrelevant, totally irrelevant. Well, isn't that Except, a plus that they have shown that they can succeed and do well in life? That of those course, are the it's a types it's of a, people you want it's in a, a post. It's, it's an enormous plus. It's also a minus in the sense that there's a lot of um, divestiture that has to be accomplished, which may take some time in vetting them and in accomplishing all the disentanglements that they need to take. For instance, when I was appointed, I had to resign from everything, absolutely everything, and um, disconnect myself from all activities, even cultural and philanthropic, that I had been involved with, and turn with total devotion to the fact I was going to serve the State Department as a permanent representative and ambassador. And it, it was not an easy thing to do, and it was also, for me, an enormous personal sacrifice. Because it came at a time in my life, not when I was about to retire, it was at the most uh, productive part of my life where I was going to make the most money if I hadn't turned to do public service. So uh, some of these people, yes, they've, they've got all that they need, they don't need to have any more, uh, but just the, I guess the technicalities and all the formalities of disentangling is going to cost them a, a lot of money and also subject them to an awful lot of scrutiny. And that takes a toll, I think, but it also reflects how much they want to serve, how much they want to help the country. And so I'm very grateful to each of them for their willingness to do the public service and I think that since they've had such enormous success in the private sector, and some of them some, some um, experience in the public sector already, 
that we should all be very grateful and applaud these appointments. For those who just tuned in, you're listening to ESPN AM 1520 radio. As we blanket 17 states and half of Canada, this station has received letters as far away as Scandinavia and New Zealand. So if you have any thoughts or comments, please drop us a note to Brian Rusk, ESPN Radio, 500 Corporate Parkway, Suite 200, Buffalo, New York, 14226. We always greet cards and letters from our Canadian and European listeners. Again, about Ambassador Eric M. Javits. He was nominated by President George W. Bush as Ambassador and Permanent U.S. Representative to the Conference on Disarmament in Geneva. In 2003, Ambassador Javits was confirmed as Ambassador and Permanent Representative to the Organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons in The Hague. Our guest today, Ambassador Eric M. Javits. Let's talk about a controversial topic, and that was the abstention by the United States in the voting regarding Israel and the settlements. Uh, Many Jewish leaders see it as a slap in the face on the way out the door by President Obama and an insult to the people of Israel. How do you feel about this abstention at the end of Obama's term as president? I don't think it has to be viewed as a personal matter um, with respect to Obama. I think it has to be viewed in the long historical perspective uh, of what does this do for the prospects of peace in the Middle East. And from that standpoint, I think it is a very sad commentary that the United States has allowed this kind of a resolution to pass the Security Council with a U.S. abstention. We have always uh, vetoed anything that would be um, this critical and damaging to uh, Israel and to the prospects <clears throat> of a two-state solution. I think the, the idea now is to assess what will be the consequences of this uh, mistake on the part of the United States. I think they're going to be very grave. Uh, I think that it's probably de depriving Israel of all of its bargaining power in terms of a negotiation with the Palestinians. And if there is going to be a country called Palestine, it would have to be one which would emerge as a result of Palestine being willing to accept Israel as a Jewish state. Israel is a democracy. It has uh, Arabs living within it as its citizens. It even has Arabs in its legislature and so forth. Um, there are occupied territories, and it has been building settlements in those territories. But it has been building settlements there for two reasons. First, to populate a reasonable defense perimeter in these occupied territories, so that if and when a two-state solution emerges, those uh, areas that it needs for reasonable perimeter of defense can be Israeli territory in exchange for other areas that it could give up which it would not need for strategic purposes. And the settlements that are being built in the non-strategic perimeter 
uh, would have to be surrendered and, um, and given to the Palestinian state. But now, with this resolution at the Security Council, there is no incentive on the part of the Palestinians to negotiate anything. It's all theirs, as far as the uh, United Nations uh, seems to feel. And the Palestinians will seize on that and say, it's, it's ours, why should we negotiate to give up any of it? Or allow any settlements in a, in a reasonable perimeter. And I also think they, they feel this is halfway to the road of statehood anyway, that they can, and, uh, and many people fear that Obama, as a parting shot, is going to basically go further with Kerry's forthcoming speech that's supposed, is expected to likely go further than even the UN resolution, or certainly blessing it. So I'm, I'm upset that the administration pretended they had nothing to do with this. I think it's very clear that they, they did, that they orchestrated it, that they helped draft it. And um, it, it's uh, quite amazing to me that they think this would have any beneficial effect on getting uh, the two sides closer to peace. If anything, it's going to be um, retrogressive. Because if I were sitting in Israel's shoes, I would say, how do I get my bargaining power back? The only way I can get it back is to annex the territories that I'm occupying and then offer to give them back in the event that uh, we can ha have a negotiated peace between the two sides. And that would be a terrible mistake on Israel's part, but it might be their only choice if eventually this uh, debacle is seized upon as something entitling the Palestinians to statehood to the entire occupied areas, etc. We have a minute left on the Rusk Report on ESPN AM 1520. Do you look upon Netanyahu as a modern-day Winston Churchill, as a man of great courage and intelligence and crafting new alliances for the State of Israel? Well, I, I think he's an amazing, uh, bright, and capable leader. He's in. The, he's trying to lead a country that's very divided, that has all kinds of um, ardent factions vying with each other, plus he's leading a, a democracy uh, which has a, a very uh, questionable future. And especially in light of the fact the enemies that he has all over the world that are either anti-Semitic or basically siding with the Palestinians out of uh, their own, whatever their geopolitical or financial or other reasons may be. So I don't know, I, I don't think he's um, a person who I see as a great hero and leader in the sense that some of the other Israeli presidents and leaders uh, stand, but I, I think he's historic, I think he's tough, I think he's brilliant, and I think he's capable. And I think his motivations, as far as I can see, are to try to see safety and security for his country, for the people of, of Israel. I'm sorry we have to come to a close. Again, back by popular demand, Ambassador Eric M. Javits on the Rusk Report on ESPN AM 1520. Special thanks to Kevin Carr, Director of Production for 15 years. Thank you for enlightening us once again, Ambassador Eric Javits. Have a great week. 
T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.